looking at verses 34 through 40. And we just finished a series on our mission together as a church, which is connecting people with the hope of the gospel. Our mission is the Great Commission. We want to be a church of disciples that makes disciples of Jesus. And, and we ask the question, well, if that's our destination, uh, what drives us there? And it's our core values of real hope and deep connection, full engagement, and, and wide reach. But, well, listen, it, it's fine for us to have you know, our mission clearly before our eyes, to know that our core values are what will drive us toward the destination of that mission. But I have a question for us. What will motivate us to embrace and to live out those core values? Because if there's one thing that I've learned as a pastor in the counseling room is that people are not so motivated by what they know to be right as they are by what they love. People are not motivated by what they know, but, what, but by what they love. And, and one of the reasons I know this in my own life is because I know uh, that if I get out in the early morning before the sun comes up and I run the three to five miles that I'm supposed to run, and if I eat the food that I'm supposed to eat and not eat the food that I'm not supposed to eat, then I will be healthier, which is what I desire to be. But I love my bed. And I love all that food that tastes just so good. And so often the struggle in my life is what I know to be good and true and right is not what I do because of what I love. And this account that happens during the final week of Jesus' earthly ministry reveals to us that, yes, uh, we have a mission and our values will drive that mission, but if we're not motivated by love, we're not going anywhere. This account happens on the final week of Jesus' ministry, probably on Tuesday, before He is going to go to the cross on Friday. And and in this account, uh, the religious leaders, as we saw back in uh, the beginning of the year, as we were going through the Gospel of Mark, we saw that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the chief priests, the scribes, that all these parties within the religious establishment uh, of Judaism, uh, that their opposition... And the tension between Jesus and them kept growing and growing. And it was about to hit its climax. Because Jesus has been claiming to be the Son of God. He's he's claiming to be the long-awaited Messiah. And He is backing it up with authoritative teaching and with miracles that they can't explain. Meanwhile, it seems like on Tuesday, He has the support of all the people. And He is actively rebuking the religious leaders, for their lack of love for God and for others. They hate Him. They desperately want to get rid of Him, but they know that they can't just kill Him without cause. One, they know that, of course, that's morally wrong, and they pride themselves on being morally right all the time. But their even greater fear is that if they do this, the people will turn on them. So they try to trap Jesus. They try to get Him to say something for which they can condemn Him. Matthew writes, they plotted how to entangle him in his words. And first, the the Pharisees try to get him. And the Pharisees come to Jesus and and they ask him a question about taxes. Because everybody knows if you want to get somebody in trouble, ask them about politics. And so they ask him about taxes. We, We pay taxes to roam the occupiers and oppressors of Israel. And Jesus' answer leaves them stunned and silent. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God's what is God's. The Sadducees come and 
by the way, the Sadducees do not believe in a physical resurrection, but they ask Jesus a question about the physical resurrection. They, they say, Jesus, there was a woman who was married to a man, and he died, and then she married six more men, and they all died. Who's she going to be married to in the resurrection? And again, Jesus' answer leaves them astonished and without response. Don't you know? Haven't you read the Scriptures? There's not going to be any marriage or giving a marriage in heaven. And so now the Pharisees come again, and while those first two questions were deceitful, This last question that is going to be asked is actually a a really good question. It's actually a very important question. This time a scribe, he's with the Pharisees, but he is an expert in the law. He asks Jesus, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And this question had been the subject of ongoing debate among the religious authorities. You know, there are 613 commandments in the Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament. And the Pharisees prided themselves on knowing all of those commandments, on having them memorized, and on practicing them, at least externally, in their lives. But they debated the priority of the commandments. In seeking a life that is pleasing to God, they were asking the question, which of all 613 commandments is the most important? Which commandment is the greatest? Which commandment is the greatest in all of the law? You know, this is a really important question for us too. If we in this room desire to live a life that honors God, that glorifies God, that pleases God, then we too need to ask the question, what will most help us do that? What is the greatest commandment in the law? And so we're going to hear Jesus' answer. But if you would, stand with me in honor of God's word, if you're able. And we'll read Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he, that's Jesus, said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's go to the Lord and ask for his help to understand his word this morning. Oh Lord, we thank you that you inspired and preserved this word for us. Thank you for Jesus, who is the very word of God. And who spoke these words, Lord, that we might know who you are and what you require of us. Lord, I pray this morning as we look into your word that you would reveal your love to us afresh. And Lord, that our response would be one of overwhelmed love for you. Lord, please, please today, minister to our souls of your love, Lord, that we might love you in return. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Human beings have always known, generation to generation, millennia after millennia, human beings have always known that love is the greatest thing. That love is the most important thing. And you can look throughout history in every age and find uh, someone, some important person who said uh, how important love is and in all the ways that it's described. You know, I just picked out a few. Plato uh, said that love is the joy of the good, the wonder of the wise, the amazement of the gods. Shakespeare said, for to be wise and love exceeds a man's might that dwells with gods above. Tolstoy wrote, all 
Everything that I understand, I understand because I love. Gandhi said, where there is love, there is life. Maya Angelou said, love recognizes no barriers. It jumps hurdles, leaps fences, penetrates walls to arrive at its destination full of hope. Assorted poets throughout our most recent centuries said, love is a many-splendored thing. Love, lift us up where we belong. All you need is... Somebody's going to start singing the elephant love melody from Moulin Rouge. Love, even in the scriptures. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Though we live in a fallen and broken world, a world so affected by sin and death that we get confused, really confused, horrifically with tragic consequences, confused about what love actually is, we still know, all of us, that it is the most important thing. We know at the core of our beings that we were created, that we exist for what? Love. And the way we know that is that we long for it more than anything. Don't we? More than anything in this world, we want to be loved. When Jesus is asked for the greatest commandment in the law, in essence, he is asked, what is the greatest thing that a human being could possibly do? He quotes the law, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and he says, you shall Love. The greatest thing that a human being could ever do, you shall love. Who? You shall love the Lord your God. Now let's define our terms. Love for God is has a lot in common with love for others. That's why Jesus is going to say in this passage, a second command is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. But there are some things that love for God does not have in common with loving others because loving God means treasuring Him, desiring Him, and being satisfied in Him above all else. And I think the best place for us to see this is in the Psalms. Psalm after psalm of of the different psalmists, especially David, declaring an overwhelming love for God. Perhaps one of my favorite of those is Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, similarly to treasuring a person and how that leads us to long for them, to delight in them, and to do for them, so love for God leads us to worship Him and trust Him, to obey Him and to enjoy Him. Now, our our doctrinal standards, the, the thing that we look to as the best human summary of what God's Word teaches is called the Westminster Confession of Faith and uh, the Shorter and Larger Catechisms. And the very first question of our catechism, the very first question is this, what is man's chief end? In other words, what is the reason for which we were created? What is the greatest thing for which we were made? And the answer to what is the chief end of man is what, Presbyterians? All right, you came through. To glorify God 
and to enjoy Him forever. Another way of, of talking about glorifying and enjoying God is simply that we would know God and love God. To know God and to love God is why we are here. And a love relationship with God is what we most long for, whether we realize it or not. See, all the things that we give love to, really we are in pursuit of something greater. And love relationship with God is, is why we are here and it's what we most long for. So I would just ask us, as a church, as individuals, do we love God? Do we have love for Almighty God? In the next three weeks, um, and the series will be longer because we'll deal with the second commandment as well, but the, the next three weeks, we're going to talk about all, 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 all about how. How we can cultivate a deeper, more passionate love for God as Jesus commands us to love God with all the different elements that make us who we are, with our heart and our soul and our mind. But today I want to focus on the question, why? Why is love for God the greatest commandment in the law? Why is love for God the greatest thing a human being can do? Well, love the Lord your God is the greatest commandment because the Lord is the greatest good. Love the Lord your God is the greatest commandment because our God is the greatest and highest good. He is the being most worthy of, most deserving of our love, and it's by an infinite margin. We see this in two major ways. Why is love for God the greatest commandment? Well, first, because God is our creator. Because God is our creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1 God is the supreme good from which all other goods flow. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote in his letter, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. That's James 1.17 so everything that you love in all creation flows from the abundant fountain that is the Lord our God. What is it that you love? Do you love truth? Do you love beauty? Do you love nature? Do you love friendship? Do you love family? Do you love experiences? Do you love virtue? What are the things that you love most in all creation? Now, trace them back. Where do they come from? See, they do not self-exist. The Lord our God is the wellspring and the source of everything good that you love. None of them could exist apart from Him. He gives meaning to all of them, and all of them point you to who He is, the highest and ultimate good, worthy of all your love. His excellencies are the foundational realities of existence. And He Himself is love. 1 John 4, 8 says this, God is what? Love. And we see that in creation. See, our God is eternally existent. There was never a time that He was not. There will never be a time where He is not. He has always been and He has always been outside of time. And listen, He needs nothing. 
The Lord our God, one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is utterly and absolutely self-sufficient. There is absolutely no deficiency, no need in God whatsoever. God was not, prior to creation, thinking, I'm lonely. Let me create something to have so that I can have something to fellowship with. No, God is totally self-sufficient. So why did He create? Because He loves. Creation is the Lord God giving Himself to, sharing Himself with creatures whose ultimate good would be to love Him and be loved by Him. Creation is nothing but the overflow of the fellowship of the three persons of the Trinity. It is the overflow of the love of God. And for a while, human beings made uniquely in God's image as special objects of His love, of His affection, enjoyed the love relationship that we were created for. Adam and Eve walked daily with the Lord, enjoying His love like we were created to do. But but they and, and us with them ultimately chose to love created things instead of our Creator. We love the gifts instead of the giver. We rejected the greatest and highest good for lesser goods. And Romans 1 tells us that because of that, because we chose to love lesser things instead of loving the ultimate good, we became futile in our minds and in our hearts. That our foolish hearts were darkened and we exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And we exchanged the glory of God and instead we worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. And we call this sin. Now, ultimately, all sin is rooted in. All sin arises from a failure to love God as the ultimate and highest good. When we don't love Him as the greatest and highest good, we don't worship Him. We don't trust Him. We don't obey Him. We don't enjoy Him. We don't treasure Him. And then our loves, and because of our loves, our lives become disordered. When we don't love God as we are created and as we ought to do according to Jesus' command, our loves become disordered. And therefore, our lives become disordered. We ask created things to be our greatest good and the most worthy of our love. But the truth is, they cannot bear the infinite weight of it. What happens when we look to our spouse to be the ultimate love, to, to be the love that satisfies all our longings to be loved. They cannot bear the infinite weight of our longing for love because it ain't a longing for them, it's a loving for God. And we ask them to bear that weight and we crush them under the weight. Same thing happens when we do it to our children. Same thing happens when we do it to our friends and other relationships. We cannot ask a finite person to be the object of infinite love or to give us infinite love. And this does so much damage in our lives. When we do it to people, we hurt them. And we miss out on our greatest and highest good, the very purpose for which we exist. But there's good news. Our God is love, and He was not willing to abandon those He loved to an eternity of disappointment and disillusion and damage as we give love to that which is not our highest good. 
Why is love the greatest commandment? Not only because God is our creator, but also because he is our redeemer. Our God, seeing that we were living and loving things in a disordered way, seeing that we were settling for that which was not him, sought us out and reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ our Lord. For God so loved the world, for God so loved you, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world that we might live through Him. In this is love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. All this truth prompts the Apostle John to say, Behold, What manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And and literally, in, in the Greek, what he's saying there is, Behold, what country does this love come from that we, sinners, rebels, those who have turned away from God, who have rejected the highest good, might be called His children through Jesus Christ's broken body and shed blood on the cross. At infinite cost to himself. God has redeemed his people for himself so that he, we might know his love and love him in return. Love the Lord your God is the greatest command because God is the greatest and highest good both as our creator and as our redeemer. And I would ask you this, have you experienced, have you known the love of God for you? Do you know God's love Have you beheld His love for you in the cross of Jesus? Have you been overwhelmed by God's love for you? And have you had love well up in your soul as a response so that it comes out of your mouth as it came out of the hymn writer's pen when he said, what wondrous love is this, O my soul, O my soul. What wondrous love is this, O my soul. What wondrous love is this that He, the Lord of bliss, would bear the dreadful curse For my soul. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died He for me who caused His pain for me who Him to death pursued? Amazing love. How can it be that Thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Alas, and did my Savior bleed? And did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for sinners such as I? Was it for sins that I have done he suffered on the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. Have you known the love of God that makes you tremble, makes you shout, that makes you weep, that makes you laugh, that brings joy into your life that you have never previously experienced. Have you known the love of God? Love the Lord your God is the greatest commandment. The greatest thing that you could ever do in this one human life that you have been given. Because God is the greatest and highest good as your creator and as your redeemer. Listen, if you have never been overwhelmed with the love of God, 
even in these moments, I would ask you to cry out to him. And you would ask him to overwhelm you now. That you would cry out to him and ask him to help you see your sin. Help you see all the ways that you have loved the creature rather than the creator. The gift rather than the giver. And ask him to overwhelm you with his love. And I know many of you like me have followed Jesus for a long time. And what that means is ebbs and flows in our love for the Lord. What that means is there may be a t- it may have been a while. It may have been a while since you have been overwhelmed by the love of God. Perhaps your soul has grown stale and cold. Perhaps you are not as responsive uh, to the Lord. Perhaps you do not treasure Him as you once did. Perhaps you do not pursue Him as you once did. Perhaps you have not felt, experienced His love in quite a while. And to you, I would also say, cry out to Him in these moments as we come to this table. For Him to once again overwhelm you with His love. Because there is no clearer place for us to see and be moved by the love of God than the cross of Jesus Christ where His body was broken and His blood shed for sinners like me and like you. So as we come to this table, meditate on how great a sinner you are and how great a Savior He is. And what wondrous love is this that you would, He would call you His own. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together around this table. Oh Lord our God, we thank You and praise You that You do love us, Lord. It is unexplainable uh, that You would love us, and yet You have counted us Your treasure and Your prize. You were not willing for us, Lord, to be disappointed and to experience disillusion and damage, not only in this life, but for eternity. So You sent forth Your Son to reconcile us to You through His life and His death, and His resurrection. Lord, we thank You that Jesus is alive, that He is risen and seated at Your right hand, and even now is interceding for us as our mediator. Lord, I pray that this table, where we reenact, where we rehearse, where we see Jesus' sacrifice, His body broken, His blood shed for us, signified and sealed, O Lord our God, Would you overwhelm us in this word that we have heard, in this sacrament in which we will partake with your great love, Lord, so that we might respond to you with hearts and lives full of love. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.